0: blog talk radio
1: hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions and all your beliefs and of course, as always you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion number to call, 646-727-3070 that's 646-727-3070 you can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash that's blogtalkradio.com slash You can send messages to the show on Twitter at 4 and also the chat room is open. You can send messages there on the chat room, and that's at BlogTalkRadio.com slash P Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Knicks point guard Raymond Felton, and the Knicks made some moves this week uh, earlier in the free agency, uh, the free agency period. They brought in uh, traded for Andrea Bargnani. Also got uh, re-signed J.R. Smith and they brought in Metta World Peace. So and Magic Johnson tweeted out after that that the Knicks are are a contending team, championship-caliber team, after bringing in Metta World Peace. I'm not sure how much he puts. I don't know if he puts them over the top ball like that because Indiana is better. Uh, I think, you know, the Bulls are going to be better. The Heat are going to be the Heat. So, I mean, there are going to be teams in the Eastern Conference and the, and the Brooklyn Nets and with the moves they made. Jason Terry, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. So that that's going to be uh, a tough order for the New York Knicks. But we'll see. We'll talk to Raymond Felton about that. Also, Jacqueline Beetham, one of the stars of Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have-Nots, which airs on own. She will be joining us, talking about that big-time show. A lot of people talking about that show. Uh, I know my wife is a fan. And so, you know, a lot of people are talking about the show. The show has a little bit of a buzz at this point. So we're going to talk to her about the show. And also we're going to be joined by heavyweight contender Seth Mitchell. Seth coming off a victory over Jonathan Banks a few weeks back on the undercard of the Broner-Malinagi fight at the Barclays Center. So we're going to talk to Seth Mitchell about, talk about talk to him about some of his future plans, which could mean Chris Ariola, Chris Ariola. There's been talks that him and Chris Ariola may be getting it on sometime in September, and that's a Fight I would like to see. It's a very intriguing fight. You know, anytime you get Seth Mitchell and, and Areola, two guys who are are very exciting fighters, you're gonna they're gonna be fireworks. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to that fight if it does happen. But I want to start now. Major League Baseball, the All Star Game is over, um, and, and I want to talk about Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, uh, the legend, all time saves leader. One of the greatest closers. Some say the greatest closer in the history of baseball. Well, Mariano Rivera got a, a, his final curtain call at the All-Star game the other night. A lot of people uh, talking about. It. Some big-time uh, Yankees fans talked about. It. They got chills watching that and, and the standing ovation. And, and Mariano Rivera seems like a, a stand-up guy. Seems like a very, very good guy a very, very good guy, family man, everything you could ask for in a man and a person. And, you know, Mariano Rivera, ultimately, this is his last All-Star game. This is his last season. And he was given a standing O, and he pitched the school his eighth, eighth inning, and and he got the All-Star MVP. Now, you know, it's the All-Star game, so it is what it is. I'm not going to go too crazy over it. And, and then, you know, it's an All-Star game, so it's essentially an exhibition as far as I'm concerned. So, it's an exhibition, and I know, like I I talked about this before, but I know home field advantage matters in this particular game. The league that wins gets home field advantage, but before that, you know, they used to alternate it anyway, so it, it doesn't really, really matter when you really truly think about it. It's an all-star game, and, you know, I, I, the homeroom derby is boring. The all-star game, equally as boring. And all all-star games in all sports are really not that good. The best one to me is the NBA, and and I go and I talk about this every year. When we get to the All Star game, especially you know the Pro Bowl. They were trying to reform the Pro Bowl, and you know they were talking about let's save the Pro Bowl, let's play serious, so on and so forth. I mean, it, it's an All Star game. It's an exhibition. It is what it is. And I, and with that being said, I don't really it, I don't have too much of an issue with Mariano Rivera getting the MVP. Reality is no one truly stepped up other than him, maybe Chris Sell, you could argue, who pitched two innings, struck out two. I mean, he pitched the longest. He struck out two, and there was a shutout in this particular game. But, I mean, you know, the you, thing about it is one run was scored on a sack fly. Uh, another run, I believe, was scored on a fielder's choice as well. And then, you know, one uh, final run was scored by, uh, well, it was brought in by Jason Kipnis of the Cleveland Indians, But, I mean, it was one run. I mean, it's just there was no one who truly really stood out in this particular All-Star game. So the reality is I don't truly have a problem with them giving the All-Star game MVP to Mariano Rivera. I mean, like I said before, it's an exhibition. I know a lot of people had some issues with it. Uh, One particular person who had an issue was uh, Brett Myers. And Brett Myers, pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, came out and said, quote, and he tweeted, The guy that deserves the MVP are the guys that drove in the runs to get Mariano the chance to be a hero in the last all-star game. And again, can't really argue with that. You really can't argue with that. You can't. I think it's a legitimate point, but at the same time, and there's an exhibition game at the same time. I mean, it's a lifetime achievement award, as I saw someone saying, and that's essentially what it is. And, uh, Brent Myers tweeted also, appreciate Mariano Rivera for all he has done. But MVP, no way. Mariano's a class act, and I respect him. But the media rules who wins, of course the media rules who wins, they decide, they vote, and they determine a winner of the all-star MVP. Again, did anybody else really stand out? Chris Sale, again, you could point out to him, a guy that possibly stood out. But did anybody else really, really stand out? I mean, no one really stood out enough where you can say, "Well, that person got robbed." You can't say Chris Sale got robbed. You can't say Jason Kipnis got robbed. You know, you can't you can't say that. I, I don't think anybody's out there truly saying that these guys got robbed. Maybe Kipnis deserves it because he did drive in an I arm. Mean, he did drive in a run with a, a double, so maybe he deserved it. I don't know. I mean, J.J. Hardy, Fielder's choice, ground out. You know, and you got Miguel Cabrera Who had a a sack fly I mean, again, none of those things really stand out None of those things are really Anything special, so the reality is As far as I'm concerned, Mariano Rivera I can't say He deserved it, but, you know He's earned it, basically Because of what he has done over the years He essentially has earned it Not deserves it, but he earned it He earned it by what he has done He's earned it by being the all-time saves leader He's earned it by closing many, many games for those New York Yankees. Winning many, many championships with the New York Yankees. That's how he earned it. That's how he earned it. I I mean, did he deserve it? You can argue yes, you can argue no, but just it is it's a it comes down to body of work. And and sometimes body of work rules the day. Sometimes we just fall on, okay, based on his body of work, let's give it to him. And I think that's what happened here in this particular – that's not. That's what I think. I know that's what happened here. I know that's what happened here. But I get it. I get it. I really get it and in terms of some people having a problem with it, some taking umbrage with Mariano Rivera being named the MVP. But to me, this becomes, this comes down to becoming a lifetime achievement award. And Mariano has achieved a lot in this game, has earned a lot in this game, and ultimately he got the MVP. Again, I don't have a problem with it. It is what it is. It's an MVP. It's an all-star game, for crying out loud. It's an exhibition game, for crying out loud. An exhibition game. Let's be clear about that. It's an exhibition game. So it doesn't matter. I, mean, well, I guess you can argue in terms of the home for the bench, but really, it doesn't matter. This game truly really doesn't matter. And, you know, him getting the MVP has nothing to do with home field advantage anyway. So it doesn't really, really matter. But it is what it is, and a lot of people have some problems with it. But it is what it is. And kudos to Mariano Rivera, great career. He's done it all as a closer, class act, and he earned it. I have no problem with it. I can understand if you do, but I don't. I want to switch gears now to baseball. Starting back up. Today And you look at the last few days, I mean, July is a rough time in the world of sports because there's not much going on. The NBA is over. NHL is over. Training camps have not started in the NFL, and they don't start till the end of the month. And so it's kind of a quiet time in sports. And, you know, those past few days where you didn't have baseball, you had the home run derby. But was that watchable? I mean, I understand people watch it in America and chicks dig the long ball, but is the home run derby watchable? I mean, there there are things I think you could do to make it more watchable. You can definitely make it more watchable. I mean, not necessarily a home run derby per se, but other facets of the game. I heard Nelly talk about this the other day in the ESPN. Um, in terms of other things you can do, run around the bases, see who runs around the bases the fastest, who can throw the ball the longest. I mean, things like that to kind of add some more depth if you will to the to All Star Week to the All Star Game, I mean it, it's just, or the All Star Festivities, I should say. I mean, it, it, just add some beef to it, add something more to it because it's. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, and I'm speaking for myself, and I know a lot of other people have said the same thing. But it, to me, the Home Run Derby is not watchable. The all, MLB All Star Game is it's not watchable. These things are not enjoyable. These things are not enjoyable. I can't watch them. I have not watched them. I will not watch them. It's just not very enjoyable to see. It's not, and I think they need to try to do other things to make it more exciting. And again, I think you know the reality is it's all all these things are exhibitions. The NFL, you know, their their Pro Bowl was is a mess. It's boring, unwatchable. Hockey, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of goals. A lot of scoring, but people love scoring. But, I mean, it's really not a game, it's an exhibition game. Baseball, you know, you you saw what we saw the other night, not very, very exciting. And basketball, which I think is the most exciting of all four of the sports. I mean, I think they get it in terms of turning this thing into a big time event with multiple events on All Star Saturday night. And just the whole weekend itself, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the celebrity games, rookie games, rookie sophomore games, I should say, and the All-Star game concluding on Sunday. I mean, they do a good job, in my opinion. They do it the best. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the NBA does it the best in terms of All-Star games. No one does it, as far as I'm concerned, like the NBA. And I think baseball has to try to do some other things other than the home run derby. Do other things other than the home run derby and run around the bases. Who can run around the bases the fastest, see who has the best throwing arm, those kind of things. I mean, those kind of things to me would would add excitement, would add intrigue to a a drab and boring event. It's a tired event as far as I'm concerned, the home run derby. It's a tired event, and I think something needs to be done by Bud Selig and Major League Baseball to make it more Exciting as we head into the second half of the season, I mean, a lot of the various storylines out here that could be talked about. What's going to happen with Ryan Braun and, and Alex Rodriguez? From, all, from what we're hearing in terms of reports, none of these guys will be suspended this year, so more than likely they will be able to. They'll, they will probably be able to finish up the season with appeals and things of that nature. So they'll be fine in terms of the season, the next season where they may have some problems. And, you know, in terms of Alex Rodriguez, this could be it for him. I mean, this could really be it for Alex Rodriguez. I mean, obviously I think we've seen the best of Alex Rodriguez. I don't think anybody could argue that. I think we've seen the best of Alex Rodriguez. He's expected to return next week for the Yankees. Expected to return next week for the Yankees. But, uh, I, I, again, I mean – First of all, we saw we saw last year with this guy. He was he was dreadful, absolutely dreadful in the playoffs. Had to sit him down in a in a closeout game. He was sat down in a closeout game. So that tells you how dreadful he was. But he's 37 years old. The hip injury. We don't know what Alex Rodriguez is going to be when he comes back and what he's going to be moving forward. I mean, this could be it for him. He, he's possibly facing a hundred game suspension. So. In terms of Alex Rodriguez, I mean, this could be it for him. We may not see Alex Rodriguez after this season. So, I guess it's time for us to enjoy him, I guess. And the funny thing is, I talked about this before in terms of Alex Rodriguez. I mean, the, the guy's had multiple. He's going to have, you know, he was on the list in terms of PEDs before. He, now he's on this list with, with the Biogenesis Clinic in Miami. I mean, I, You question whether or not this guy truly is a Hall of Famer. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, but in terms of him being a Hall of Famer, he may not be a Hall of Famer. I think that's something that is going to be very, very interesting when he retires based off some of the things that he's gone through in terms of being on the list before and and then being on the Biogenesis list. And uh, he's probably going to get suspended at some point because of it. So, honestly, this guy... This guy being Alex Rodriguez may not be a Hall of Famer. You remember many moons ago when Alex Rodriguez was supposed to be the quote-unquote clean home run champion. He was supposed to be the clean home run champion. And we all know what happened with that. You look at Chris Davis right now. Chris Davis, he's talking about Roger Maris. And according to Chris Davis, and this is what he believes, and there's a lot of people out here who believe the same thing, Roger Maris is... 61. That's the true number. Roger Maris is the, as far as Chris Davis is concerned, is the guy who has the record for most home runs in a season. That's who Chris Davis believes is the true home run king in terms of the 61 home runs in one season. Davis believes he's the true home run king. Now that's what Davis is shooting for. That's what Davis is shooting for. 37 home runs at this point. He is on pace for 62 home runs. So, can he do it? Sure, he can do it. I don't think he will do it. That's a lot of home runs. That's a lot of home runs to do it clean. And we all know the guys who who did it, who broke it, who shattered the record, didn't do it clean. McGuire, didn't do it clean. Sosa, didn't do it clean. Bonds, didn't do it clean. So, we know that the guys who uh, you know broke that record, who shattered Maris' record, did not do it clean. Chris Davis, as far as we know at this point, is clean. So can he do it? I, you know what? I hope he does do it. I hope he does do it. And, and it would be interesting. You're wondering now, will people really believe and, and say, you know what, this guy, Chris Davis, is truly the true home run king in terms of the season. He is the home run king in terms of the season, in terms of breaking Roger Maris's record for most home runs in a season. He is the true king. Not Bonds, not McGuire, but Chris Davis. 62 is a lot of home runs to get. He's on pace to hit 62, but can he keep his pace? And that is a lot to ask from anybody, from any player. We'll see if Davis can do it. There's a guy now, Miguel Cabrera. I mean, this guy has been absolutely, truly, truly amazing over the past two seasons. He's been amazing over the past two seasons. And he has an opportunity to get back-to-back triple crowns. I mean, he's on top of him in terms of batting average. Runs batted in. But he needs that home run, and he, he needs to go on a tear, and he needs Chris Davis to slow it down a little bit if he wants to catch Chris Davis in terms of the home runs. That's what Miguel Cabrera has to do. But, I mean, if he doesn't, you know, two out of three in terms of batting average or runs batted in is good enough. I mean, it's amazing the terror he's been on over the past two seasons. Probably the best player in Major League Baseball at this point. Numbers don't lie, and those numbers – are big-time for Mickey Cabrera. Big-time numbers for him, and we'll see if he can get it. Again, Chris Davis is going to have to slow it down, and he's going to have to pick it up a little bit if he wants to catch him in terms of the home runs. So a lot of interesting storylines out here. Who's going to be sellers? Who's going to be buyers? The Phillies, will they be sellers? Will they be buyers? We'll see. They've got a tough road trip coming up, and that should determine some things in terms of the Philadelphia Phillies and which direction they may go. You have to look at the National League East and say it's there on some level for the taking. It's there for the taking. If the Phillies or anybody can, can step up their game, if any of those guys can step up those games, you have to say the National League East is there for the taking. We'll see if the Phillies or anybody can step up and actually Take it. Derek Jeter, what's he going to be in the second half of the season? The Yankees, six back in the American League East, six games back in the American League East, three games back in the wild card. What are the Yankees going to do moving forward? Can they get back to the playoffs? What's going to happen with the Yankees? How about in terms of the Pittsburgh Pirates? Will they hold on and get back to the playoffs for the first time since 1992, it's been a long time in Pittsburgh. It's been a long time. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, even when the Pirates were good, uh, they didn't get a lot of people out there. They didn't have, you know, the big-time fan support. Even when they were good, with the Bonds and the Bonillas and the Sid Breams, Andy Van like of the world, you know, they, they weren't even getting big-time numbers in terms of attendance when those guys, and it wasn't a big-time buzz when those guys were getting it done many moons ago, 1992, that's a long time, 21 years ago. Wow. You look at 1992, 1992, it doesn't seem that. 1992 is that long ago. I mean, it felt like yesterday was 1992. 1992, I was in high school. I mean, it feels like yesterday I was in high school, but I'm far, far away from high school at this point in my life. It is what it is, as upsetting as it is. But, I mean, a lot of, lot of very storylines to be talked about here as we move into the second half, the unofficial second half of the season. It's going to be very, very exciting to see how this whole thing ends, who's going to step up, who's going to step down, who's going to make moves, who's going to be buyers, who's going to be sellers, Chris Davis, Mickey Cabrera, Ryan Braun, A-Rod, what happens to those guys? A lot of things to be talked about in the second half of the Major League Baseball season. And I'm going to be watching each and every second of it and to see who is going, truly going, to make that next step, truly going to be the teams who separate themselves as we go into September, October, and beyond. I want to go to the NBA now. And a lot of interesting things going on in the NBA. Of course, Dwight Howard signed, sealed, and delivered to the Houston Rockets. And then a the story came out about the Lakers in 2014, where they have their eye on a, a couple guys, Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. These guys can opt out. They both have opt-outs after next season. And they're probably going to opt out. And You wonder, does Melo and LeBron want to play together? They're friends. But do they want to play together? I mean, You get the sense of LeBron James after that move to South Beach that he's going to want to play with a talented superstar, another superstar. So maybe and the lake, obviously Los Angeles is a big-time market. It's a big-time market. And Kobe Bryant, you know, he's got two to three years left. And at that point, I mean, LeBron James is going to come in there it could be his market. It could be. I mean, he could become even bigger than what he is. I doubt it. I mean, he's really big right now. And if he keeps winning, he's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's going to be up to Kobe Bryant to determine whether or not he is going to want to take a pay cut in order to make some of this stuff happen so they can be able to fit in guys into their cap. Will they be able to fit James so they can fit James and, and, and Melo into the salary cap. You know, some people call it realistic. Some people call it uh, far-fetched. I mean, so it's going to be interesting to see if it happens. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you look at Mello, I mean, Melo fought his way out of Denver to get to New York, you know, and, and his wife has a lot of business interests in New York. So Melo fought his way to get to New York out of Denver. He wanted to find. He scratched and clawed his way to get. New York City. He's there. He's there. I don't think Melo is going to want to go anywhere. I don't think Melo is going to want to go anywhere. I could see LeBron James going somewhere. I mean, Dwayne Wade, we've seen the last two seasons, has broke down. I mean, he didn't break down completely, but he was breaking down. Is this going to be a trend moving forward? with Dwayne Wade. Is he going to be limping to the finish line each and every season? He limped to the finish line last season and limped to the finish line this season. Is that going to continue? Is that going to be the trend with Dwayne Wade moving forward? So if you're LeBron James, got to think about that. Do you go to Cleveland? Do do you make the fans of Cleveland happy? Do you, do you, and we all know what happened with the decision and him taking his talents to South Beach, so on and so forth. Will he say, you know what, let me end it where it started, and where it started is in Cleveland? Maybe that's what LeBron James is thinking about in 2014. And I said it before, I'll say it again. I hope he does go to Cleveland. I think it would be great for him to go to Cleveland. How about Cleveland? You know, Dion Waiters. Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson, Barajal, you know, some talented players there in Cleveland. And now Andrew Bynum, of course, again, we don't know what Andrew Bynum is going to be. If anything, it could be nothing. Andrew Bynum could be nothing, may not even play a game. So we don't know what he's going to be. But the thing about it is this. Let's just say Andrew Bynum is something. Let's just say Andrew Bynum is the guy that we saw two seasons ago with the Lakers. Let's just say he's that guy. You team that up with Kyrie Irving. Deion Waiters gets a little better. Tristan Thompson gets a little better. Bennett, the rookie, who knows what he could bring. He's the number one pick, so maybe he brings something to the table as well. And then you add a guy like LeBron James to that mix. And I think that would make Cleveland – more inviting for LeBron James. That makes Cleveland more inviting for LeBron James. And Mike Brown is the coach again in Cleveland. So you wonder about that that, that dynamic. You wonder about that dynamic and whether or not you know LeBron James would be willing to go back and co- and, and play under Mike Brown again. Maybe would that happen? Well and cuz I I look at it from the standpoint that last time yeah, Mike Brown as his coach. I mean, he got close, but he couldn't get over the top. He got close, and he could not get over the top. And you wonder, in terms of, I mean, the, the Cavaliers fire Mike Brown, you wonder what LeBron had to do with that from the standpoint that, okay, if LeBron wanted Mike, James, Mike uh, Brown to stay in Cleveland, then obviously Mike Brown would still have been the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers back in 2010. If LeBron James wanted Mike Brown there back in 2010, LeBron James and Mike Brown would still be together, and Mike Brown would still be the coach of the Cavaliers. Well, he is now, but he would have stayed as the coach of the Cavaliers and not gotten fired after the 2010 season. So I don't know in terms of that dynamic whether or not that will affect things. But then at the same time, if you're the Cavaliers, why would you hire Mike Brown if you have your eye on LeBron James in 2014? if you knew that those two couldn't get along. So obviously those two possibly can get along. I mean, obviously, hey, let's be clear about something. It's July. (laughs) It's July. And there's not much going on in the world of sports. And so in July, you're going to hear stories like this popping up. Because there's nothing really else to talk about. I mean, it is July. I mean, and... You know, as one person said, this is a far-fetched thing. This is pretty far-fetched, and I, I can never doubt or count out the Los Angeles Lakers in terms of rebuilding, in terms of getting back to where they once were. I mean, the Lakers. This is the Lakers organization that got Shaq. A Lakers organization that drafted Kobe. A Lakers organization after Shaq that found a way to get Powell Gasol, and kept the winning going. So this Laker organization knows what it's doing. They know what they're doing at this point. They got to. And granted, at the time, Jerry West was a part of the Lakers when they got Shaq and uh, drafted for Kobe. But Mitch Kupchak did bring in Powell Gasol, and that Powell Gasol move was a big-time move for the Lakers because, again, that started – the repeat for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant getting those two titles without Shaq. If you don't make the move for Gasol, Kobe Bryant probably does not have those two titles that he won uh, a couple years back. So it should be very, very interesting to see what happens in 2014. Obviously, you got a big-time free agency class. And as I said before, I'll say it again. I said before uh, a few weeks back, free agency in the NBA when you have big-time stars is a beautiful thing for the league. People are talking about the NBA into July. Into July, they're talking about the NBA, and one of the reasons is you got big-time free agents out there on the market. LeBron James on the market, Melo on the market. I mean, you can't ask for anything more if you're the NBA. Big-time superstars becoming free agents, and with that being said, people paying attention and people caring about who are the free agents. I mean, you got Lou Alden is going to be a free agent as well, Danny Granger, I mean, Amari Stoudemire. You got Chris, uh, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade who also have the uh, option to opt out. So it's very, very interesting to see how this whole thing pans out. It's going to be very interesting to see what goes on here. Very interesting. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to it. If you're Adam Silver in the NBA, you look forward to it as well. A lot of people are looking forward to it. A lot of people are looking forward to the possibilities. Melo possibly going to L.A. LeBron possibly going to L.A. I mean, who knows what will happen? Who knows what will happen? But I know one thing, and this is what I do know. It's going to be very, very intriguing to see it all play out. How about the Nets? The Brooklyn Nets. I was tempted to call them the New Jersey Nets, but the Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets today they made some announcements. Jason Terry, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, they're in the fold. That's going to be a tough team to beat, moving forward. A very, very tough team to beat. And, and it's going to be interesting. We're going to bring Raymond Felton in, in here in a moment, and I'm going to get his take on uh, how he views that Brooklyn Nets team. That's going to be a tough team to beat, a very tough team to beat. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio.
0: A.K.A. Corey Live, host of Picture on the Hub And warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio With my man Paulie G and Jeremy Get it!
1: And we're back And we're going to bring in a guy now who had a big-time season For the New York Knicks, the Knicks team That made it to the second round of the playoffs It's been a long time since the New York Knicks had won a playoff series But they had some serious championship aspirations, and they have some serious championship aspirations going into next season. Let's bring him in now. Point guard for the New York Knicks, Raymond Felton. Raymond, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
1: And, Raymond, I look at the New York Knicks fairly busy in this offseason, bringing in Andrea Bargnani, re-signing J.R. Smith and last week bringing, bringing in Metal World Peace. I mean, Magic Johnson tweeted out after the signing of Metal World Peace that the Knicks are a championship-caliber team. You agree with Magic?
0: Oh, I definitely agree with Magic, for sure. You know, and um, it's a lot of – I'm glad to hear somebody somebody's on our side because there's a lot of critics out there saying that we're not going to finish you no know, higher than fifth, you know, this year in the East, you know, but um, – I love that, though. I like being the underdogs. I like people talking negative about us. You know, we're just going to continue to work hard and try to get better and try to, you know, capitalize on the season we had last year.
1: And let's talk about last season. You guys got to the second round. Ultimately, you would lose to the Pacers. Tough series for you guys. Some people blamed coaching. Some people blamed J.R. Smith. Some people blamed a whole bunch of things. In your mind, what happened in that series against the Pacers?
0: Um, we just you know, honestly, you know, as a team we just didn't we didn't rebound as well as we should have. You know, those guys were though know, they got a they got a, they had a big team over there. Those guys were extremely big, you know. We couldn't depend on Tyson to get all the rebounds, you know. Me as a guard and everybody else, you know, we, we just gotta do a better job when we play against teams like that collectively as a team to rebound it. You know, I, I think that was the biggest thing of that series. You know, they just they, – they out-rebounded us for the most part, and then that gave them extra possessions, and sometimes it gave them a lot of kick-out for threes. You know, they're already a tough team in their building. You know, when, they, when a team like that out rebounds, you and get more possessions, it's kind of tough to um, to win. And they're a good team as well.
1: Do you take anything from that series moving forward?
0: Um. Nah. You just learn from it. That's all you can do. You know. Just. You know. It's, it was a lot of. It was a lot of um, agonizing pain. You know, for us as a team and me as an individual. So you just take that into the summer, into your know, your workouts, into practice next year, and just you know just get ready for that for that season and get ready. Hopefully in the postseason that, that that don't happen again. We're
1: talking the next point guard, Raymond Felton. And Raymond, after what happened to you in Portland, you not being in the best of shape. You said you came into this season with the chip on your shoulder. Talk about your mindset coming into this season.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still the same. I still got a chip on my shoulder. You know, I, I still got a lot of things I want to – I want to do I want to prove and then as as a as the point guard of this team, you know what I mean? I I, I got to keep a chip on my shoulder, you know, cuz being a leader, you know, you know, you it's, it's a lot of negative talk out there. I try not to listen to it, but you know, it still gets to me, you know, to the fact that, you know, a lot of people are counting us out, you know, because of what Boston has done, because, you know, guys are coming back this year. You know, not Boston, but Brooklyn is done. You know, I don't really care about that. All I care about is our team. I feel like we have a great team, and I feel like we still have a team that can that can win a championship. So, you know, like I said, I look forward to this season.
1: How much did it hurt you last season? A lot of people talking about – well, two seasons ago, a lot of people talking about you in Portland, you being out of shape and everything. How much does that bother you?
0: Oh, it bothered me a lot. You know, and, and I just and – I, and I blame myself totally. You know, I was out of shape. You know, I wasn't out of shape the whole time I was there, but when I first got there, I was out of shape. You know, it was during a lockout year. I'd never been through a lockout. I was home, relaxing, you know, not really doing anything, thinking that we wasn't going to have a season. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, we, you know, I had a report to to a team, you know, in two weeks, and knowing that two weeks in time I couldn't get in shape and be ready to play ball, you know. So, but I blame myself. I don't blame nobody else. You know, everything they were saying about me being out of shape, I was. I, I exactly was at first. You know, but I did play myself into shape and worked hard, you know, did a lot of extra stuff, you know, before the season was over with. But, you know, the the damage was already done, you know. But, right. you know, it's okay. I know that that's something that would never happen. You know, we go through another lockout while I'm still playing. You know, I just make sure I just continue to still train and work out just in case, you know, we do come out of the lockout and have a season.
1: Now you played in Portland, you played in Denver, you played in Charlotte, but there is nothing like uh-huh. playing in New York City, playing in the Garden. Talk about playing in New York City.
0: It's great, man. You know, New York is the mecca of basketball. You know, there's those those are some of the greatest fans in the world. You know, they're gonna let you know when you're doing great, and they're gonna also let you know when you ain't playing well. You know, and you gotta love that. You gotta love that. You know, you, you know they they're gonna love you. They, you got a lot of. A lot of true Knicks fans out there, you know, and, you know, they they with you 100%. They, 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 and they back you, you know, as long as you play hard and you give it 100% and you give it all out there, you know, those Knicks fans are going to love you, you know, and that's what I love about New York, man. Those, those fans are true and they know the game of basketball, and I, and I love it there, man. I just love the atmosphere. It's just, it's wonderful. Wasn't an adjustment
1: for
2: you?
0: No, it wasn't, you know, um, you know, playing at Carolina you know, on a on a big stage at at the college level, you know, with those with those Carolina fans and you know, it kind of prepared me, you know, for that, you know, but then I played for Charlotte for five years. So when I came to New York the first time, you know, I, I felt like I was just right at home and I still feel the same way now.
1: Now Raymond, your cross town rivals, the Brooklyn Nets, you got some new players, Paul Pierce, Kevin uh-huh. Garnett, Jason Perry, to name a few a new coach in Jason Kidd, a guy you're very familiar with. First of all, How do you think Jason Kidd is going to do as the coach of the Brooklyn Nets?
0: I think he's going to be a great coach. You know, I think in in any situation in life or any situation where you're making a change, you know, it's it's going to take you time. It's going to take a while to get adjusted to it, you know. So, you know, nobody's expecting him to come in and be perfect right away. You know, but I think overall he's going to be a great coach and he's going to do a a lot for that franchise. And he's going to do a lot for, um, for, for D. Will's game, for sure.
1: And how much did Jason Kidd do for your game?
0: Oh, he did a lot, man. You know, you know, I told him, you know, I appreciate you, you know, everything you've done for me, everything you've done for this team, you know, everything that you helped me out with. You know, he's been great for my game last year, you know, as far as a point guard, just helping me understand things, you know, to make me better, to prepare me for this year, you know, with him not being there, me having to, you know, to be that leader, to be that guy, you know what I'm saying? I have to be vocal, you know, just to – just to just to be there for for my teammates on and off the court, you know. So you know he, he's definitely prepared me for that this year.
1: And are you excited for this opportunity? I mean, last year, you know, you you talked about Jason Kidd and how he is a leader on the floor. Are you excited for the opportunity as the point guard of the New York Knicks to kind of be that leader?
0: Oh no question. You know we got another and we got other leaders on this team. You know you still got Tyson. You got Melo. You no, know, you got Amari. You know, you got guys, you know, who who also are are veterans and the you know, are leaders of this team, but you know, as the point guard, you know, I still gotta be the 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 the, the enforcer in a sense, you know, because I'm the guy that, that runs the offense, you know, that's that's trying to they're trying to get the guys the ball, that's trying to make things slow. I'm basically the coach on the court. You know, I'm basically Coach Woodson on the court. Right.
1: We're talking the next point guard, Raymond Felton. and Raymond in the news there was some talk twenty fourteen that the, the Lakers could be going after Melo, going after LeBron James, but you know, Melo obviously he plays with you so that means more to you. Do you listen to that kind of stuff?
0: I don't pay no attention to that, man. Melo loves New York. You know, he he's he's happy to um to be playing in New York. He he loves it, you know, so I don't I don't see him leaving or going anywhere else, honestly. You know what I'm saying? So I mean it's it's always gonna be speculations out there. It's always gonna be stuff. You know, that's 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 what they have to do. They have to they have to talk about something to to make it sound exciting. You know, but I don't think either one of those guys gonna leave the teams that they're playing for right now.
1: Now in the Eastern conference you have the Heat, obviously two time champions. They have the big three, you have the Pacers, Danny Granger's coming back, you have the Bulls, Derek Rose is coming back and of course you have the Nets Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett. In your mind, how do the Knicks stack up against the powers in the Eastern Conference?
0: I, I feel like we still right there. We still in that top three, my opinion. You know, we, you know, we, we was the number two, number two team in the East last year. You know, yes, we lost to Indiana. You know, but um, we still won our division. You know, and we still was a number two team. You know, going into the playoffs. And um, I still, we I still feel like we are still in that same position. We still have our same team. We still have the still have the core of our team. And Then on top of that, you know, we add a Baryani Bariani as a seven footer, you know, to to really hit that jump shot for us. Then you have you know Mettaward Peace, who's I think overall can, is, a, is an overall player. He can guard all positions from one through five. You know, he's a he's a three point threat. You know, he he can post up as well because he, he's strong. You know, and he's, he's going to help us out tremendously man I, I love our chances I love the team that we have
1: Raymond you are big on Twitter where can fans connect with you on Twitter
0: oh yeah my Twitter name is at Felton that is my fans, Twitter name
1: make sure you connect with this man on Twitter he's expecting a big time season for the New York Knicks this season was a big time season for the Knicks now it's time for the Knicks to take that next step. Raymond, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again.
0: Oh, for sure. Thanks for having me on.
1: Take care. Raymond Felton, point guard for the New York Knicks. Interesting. I mean, he, he is confident in the abilities of the New York Knicks. He, I mean, Magic Johnson tweeted it out. Metal a world peace. The Knicks are a championship caliber team. Andrea Bargnani, that's a nice pickup. A seven-footer who can shoot the basketball, that is a nice pickup. Knicks are going to be an interesting team. I really like what they did in Brooklyn, though. I, I, I can't. I love what they did in Brooklyn. I love what they did in Brooklyn. I mean, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, to go along with what they already had with Darren Williams and, and Brooke Lopez and those guys, I love what they did in Brooklyn. I really do. I mean, everybody in that starting lineup can score the basket. But Also, Andre Karolinko is also in the mix for the Brooklyn Nets. I love what they did in Brooklyn. I really do. Now, I don't know if that puts them on the Heat level, and that's where everybody is shooting for. The Miami Heat are a tough, tough team to beat. Let's be honest. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, that big three is going to be tough to beat for anybody. But the Pacers who gave the Heat a lot of trouble this season, a lot of trouble uh, two seasons ago, the Pacers, they're going to be a tough team. Danny Granger in the mix. that's going to, And they're going to be better having Danny Granger back. That's going to make them a better basketball team. They're going to be a tough team to beat the Chicago Bulls. You want to talk about a tough-minded basketball team? Was there any tougher team than the Chicago Bulls out there? I mean, they were shorthanded the whole season. I mean, in that series against the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, they were able to win that series in an improbable performance by Nate Robinson, doing some improbable things, making some improbable shots. I mean, it was amazing what we saw from the Chicago Bulls and how tough-minded that team is. But now they're bringing Derrick Rose back. And we all know what Derrick Rose is. We all know what Derrick Rose can be. And the thing about it is, you look at the Chicago Bulls, and I heard somebody say this the other day. I mean, the last two uh, times the Miami Heat went to the NBA Finals, they didn't have to go through a Derrick Rose-led Chicago Bulls team. They did it the first time they made it there. But this time, or the last two times, I should say, they didn't have to go through a Derrick Rose-led Chicago Bulls team. I don't know how much that's going to make a difference because they did beat Derrick Rose in the Chicago Bulls when Derrick Rose was there. Now, again, again, Derrick Rose is back and we'll see what he can beat. But the Chicago Bulls, they're going to be very formidable. And so there's a lot of teams out here in the Eastern Conference. You could argue that the balance of power has shifted from the Eastern from the Western Conference, I should say, to the Eastern Conference. I mean, you got a lot of teams out East now who you're looking at and you're saying, you know what, this team can make a championship run. The Miami Heat. Obviously, you can make a championship run. The New York Knicks, obviously, you have what it takes, I believe, in terms of some of the talent that you have to make a championship run. The Indiana Pacers, you took the Miami Heat to seven games. You're bringing back a Danny Granger. You brought in a Chris Copeland. You have the talent, as far as I'm concerned, to give the Miami Heat some problems. The Brooklyn Nets, you're bringing in Pierce and Garnett. You're forming a, a big three in some respect with Darren Williams, Garnett, and Paul Pierce. Granted, this is Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett are not the same players they were back in 2008 when they first came together, but hey, they still can get it done. And of course, Chicago Bulls, you're bringing back your guy in MVPs two seasons ago and Derrick Rose. Three seasons ago and Derrick Rose. You're bringing that back into the mix. That. Going to be and going to make the Eastern Conference a very, very interesting situation. It's going to be very, very interesting in the Eastern Conference. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what I may see in the Eastern Conference next season. Five teams, as far as I'm concerned, that I can point to that you can make an argument that could legitimately get out of the Eastern Conference and make it to the NBA Finals. The balance of power has shifted from the west to the east. From the west to the east and the west. I I, I mean, I'm looking at OKC, of course, San Antonio, of course, the Clippers bringing in the Doc Rivers. That's a big-time move for them, bringing back a Chris Paul, Memphis Grizzlies bringing in a new coach. I don't know how much that will affect their situation, but they were a championship-caliber team. But I like what I see better in the Eastern Conference. I really do. I really like what I see better in the Eastern Conference. The Clippers, especially bringing in the Doc Rivers. We had Clipper Darrell on, one of the greatest NBA fans you'll ever know, last week. And he talked about the culture change in L.A., the culture change. And now how you got guys, Chris Paul, he wanted to sign back with the Los Angeles Clippers, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers wanted to come and coach the Clippers. I mean, you don't hear that. It's, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. All these guys want to be a part of Clipper Nation. You don't hear that. That That's something you would never thought you would hear. But the Clippers, in terms of a culture change, there is a culture change with the Clippers. Doc Rivers is there. We all know what Doc Rivers can do, what he brings as a coach. It's a culture change with the Clippers. People want to be in L.A., not with the Lakers, but with the Clippers. People want to play with the Clippers. And Chris Paul is back. Darren Collison is in the mix. I mean, Jared Dudley also in the mix. I really like what the Clippers did in this offseason, but but I think other other than the signing of Chris Paul, I have to say bringing in Doc Rivers as the head coach is a big-time move. It's a big-time move. And to me, that's a culture shift in L.A., not with the Lakers, with the Clippers. And the thing about it is it's so amazing. I mean, we're talking about the Clippers, not the Lakers, the Clippers we we we're talking about the clippers and championship aspirations the clippers i mean digest that think about that take that into your head throw it around in your head a little bit we're talking about the clippers not the lakers in terms of winning in terms of the terms of the possibility of winning a championship the la clippers that's amazing man that that's amazing and the thing about it is the Lakers, I don't think they're going to be that great next season. If they do get to the playoffs, it'll be what they did this season in terms of a seventh. They were a seventh seed last season, and the best they'll be is the same thing as far as I'm concerned. I know you never want to count out the Lakers. I know you never want to count out Kobe Bryant. I, I, I get that. I understand that. But the thing about it is you could argue that they had a much more talented team last season with Dwight Howard in the mix, and this team barely made the playoffs. It's just something to think about. Is Chris Kamen better than Dwight Howard? Chris Kamen has a hard time staying healthy. Is he better than Dwight Howard? I don't think so. I I, I don't think so. I don't really see that. I don't. I don't see that. So it's going to be a struggle for the Lakers next season. It really is. It's going to be a struggle. It really is. But I look at the whole dynamic in L.A. and how the shift to to the Clippers, the shift of, of people and players and coaches and wanting to be a part of the Clipper organization, you never thought you would hear that. You never, ever thought, you would hear such a thing. You heard it. It's strange to hear. Very strange to hear. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just downright weird in, in some respect. You didn't expect for that to happen, but it, it has happened. And the Clippers are going to be very formidable this season. Do I think they have surpassed the Spurs or OKC? Okay, no. Do I think Dwight Howard and, and the Houston Rockets? I, I said this last week about Dwight Howard and the Houston Rockets. I, I'm looking at teams in the Western Conference who still probably are, are better or just as good as the Houston Rockets with Dwight Howard in the mix. I mean, okay, see, so I still think it's better. San Antonio I still think is better. The Clippers, I still think at this point the Clippers are probably better. Memphis, probably better. You know, Golden State, they brought in the Andre Iguodala. They're going to be pretty good, if not better. And you got the Houston Rockets. You bring in a Dwight Howard, but does that help you surpass or leapfrog some of those teams in the Western Conference? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Obviously, you know, scoring a Dwight Howard is big time. There's no getting around that. thats it, It's big time. But at this point, the way the program is set up with the Rockets, the way they're presently constructed, are they a team that has surpassed or leapfrogged teams like the Clippers, the Spurs, or the Oklahoma City Thunder? Are they that type of team? Have they done that? And that's a question I think you're going to really have to think about because I'm not sure if they did. I'm not so sure they did. Really not. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. But how about the the Rockets? And you've got to give them a lot of credit in terms of how they reshaped their franchise, going after and bringing in a James Harden, giving him max money, something that the OKC was very reluctant to do. You bring in James Harden, you give him max money. And he comes out and he proves that, you know what, this guy was, was a superstar in waiting, a star in waiting. I don't want to call him a superstar just yet, but he was a star and waiting, a star that was behind Westbrook and, and, and playing third fiddle to Westbrook and, and Kevin, uh, Kevin Durant. I mean, but this guy, James Harden, came in and proved that, you know what? He's got the stuff to possibly be a superstar. So you you're brought in a star. Stars win championships in the NBA, more so superstars than stars, but stars help. And then you turn around. And you bring in a Dwight Howard the following season, who, when healthy, is a superstar. When healthy did lead a team to the NBA Finals. I mean, he led a team to the NBA Finals, a team that you look at on paper, how formidable was that Orlando Magic team other than Dwight Howard that got to the NBA Finals? That was a year Turkaloo. Turkoglu had a big-time season for the Magic in that year. Turkaloo had a big-time season for them. He, he was big-time for the Magic during that season. Big time. He was big-time for the Magic. And, you know, when he was one of the reasons that the Magic did get to the NBA Finals. But, I mean, you look at that roster. That was a roster where you had Jameer Nelson, who went out early with that shoulder injury. They plugged in Ray for Austin. But they did have Courtney Lee, who was decent. J.J. Reddick, Jason Richardson, Turkleo. I mean, Turkleo had a big gear for them. He was, in a lot of ways, their closer back then. But, I mean, you look at their roster. I mean, let's look at the first five guys in terms of points per game. Dwight Howard, 20 points per game. Then Rashard Lewis stepped in at 17 points per game. Then after that, Turkleo was 16 and Jameer Nelson was 16. But Jameer Nelson missed a big part of that season, and then they plugged in a Ray for Austin. But I mean, you look at that team, and you're saying, okay, other than Dwight Howard, there is not another star on that roster. There's not. There's not another star on that roster. And Dwight Howard took that team. That team that you know, Dwight Howard drew a lot of attention. A lot of everybody in that starting lineup could shoot the three. Rashard Lewis was a stretch four. Tito Turkoglu could shoot the three. Jameer Nelson could shoot the three. You know, Courtney Lee is a guy who could shoot the three. J.J. Reddick, of course, can shoot the three. I mean, these guys were all surrounded. So all surrounded Dwight Howard. They all surrounded Dwight Howard, and these guys put the ball in the basket from downtown. But the thing about it is you stack this team up against other teams out there, and you're saying to yourself, okay, this is not all that great. This is not all that great, and Dwight Howard did take this team to the NBA Finals. So say what you want. Say what you want about Dwight Howard. He flip-flops, can't make a decision, he waivers. Say what you want. Say all those things. And all those things may be true, probably are true. But the thing about it is this guy, when Healthy, is the best center in this game. When Healthy is a superstar. When Healthy did lead a team to the NBA finals. So you can say what you want to say about Dwight Howard. You can say all those all the negative things you want about this guy. Bottom line is this. When he was healthy in 2011-2012, he averaged 20 points and 14 rebounds. When he this season with a bad back, not too shabby, 17 points per game and 12 rebounds. So this guy is a stud. He is an absolute stud, he's a beast, he's a monster, and he is a superstar. He is a superstar. So we can say all the things we want to say about the guy, but the reality is he did lead the team to the NBA Finals, and he has proven, when healthy, to be a superstar in this league. The second hour of Go For It starts right now. Of Go For It, starting right now and in this hour, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of Tyler Perry's Haves and Have-Nots, Jacqueline Beatham. She's going to join us. She's going to talk about the show, a big-time show, a show with a lot of buzz. I mean, a lot of people are talking about that show. It's on their own network, Oprah's network. It's on Oprah's network, and everybody's talking about the show. It's a big-time show. My wife loves it. My wife loves the show. And everybody that I hear loves the show. A lot of people are talking, are saying big things about it. So we're going to talk to, her, talk to her, excuse me, about that show. Also, we're going to be joined by heavyweight contender Seth Mitchell. Seth Mitchell coming off a, uh, a winning performance against Jonathan Banks, and you know Seth Mitchell's a guy now who's put himself back into the heavyweight mix. I mean, you know, the you look, you think about the heavyweight division. You talk about the heavyweight division, and in a lot of ways. It's always been the Klitschko's, Vladimir and Vitaly. It's been all Klitschko talk. You know, and and quite frankly, that is just the reality of the situation. No American heavyweights have stepped up to the forefront. None have stepped up to the forefront. It's all about the Klitschko's in the heavyweight division at this point. But Seth Mitchell, he's a guy that believes in his ability. He's, He's a guy who believes that he can be that next big-time American heavyweight. He's got some work to do. He's got a way to go. But I can't doubt the man. I definitely can't doubt the man, but we're going to talk to him in the second hour. I want to go to the NFL now, and I want to go to Josh Brent. And, and I talked about this story a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at this story initially, and I, and I said to myself, I mean, you know, Jerry Brown's parents said, you know what? His mom, I should say, Jerry Brown, the, the person who died in the car accident with Josh Brent. Jerry Brown's mother, you know, she said, stand by Josh Brent. Support Josh Brent. And, and that's what the Cowboys have done to this point. They, they have supported Josh Brent. But Josh Brent decided, you know what, it's time for me to retire. He retired today, and, and quote, he had, these, he had this to say, I am at a point where my main focus is all about getting the priorities in my life in order. Those priorities are more important than football. Doing the right things in life are more important than football. And the reality is you can't argue with that statement. You you can't argue with that statement. The reality is, yes, doing the right things in life is more important than football. And Josh Brent now you know, is a guy who tested positive a couple times for marijuana at this point. I mean, this is a guy who's, who's out on bail and he's testing positive for marijuana. This is a guy, obviously, who needs to get his life in order. He definitely, at this point, needs to get his life in order. He's got to get his priorities in order. And I, I, I think it's a great, a good decision for him. It's a good decision for him. I mean, it, it's good to, to prioritize in life and, and figure out, you know what, where am I going? It's time to get the train on the tracks before the train completely falls off. I mean, he's got an opportunity now to – Tw- only 25 years old, young man. He- he's a young man, and I don't know how much jail time he may he may do. I mean, he is facing a manslaughter charge, so I don't know how much jail time he will do. And I- it was my contention when this whole thing happened that I was hoping that jail. T- I-, I was hoping probation for this guy. For the simple fact is, you know what? He suffered enough. Obviously, Jerry Brown was his best friend. And, you know, in that car accident, he killed his best friend. I mean, I mean, think about that. So he's already in enough pain. I mean, could you imagine that? Not only, you know, obviously getting into a car accident, that's traumatic enough, but getting into a car accident that kills your best friend, that's a tough thing to come back from. That's a tough thing to come back from. And not too many people can come back from something like that. So it was, it was my opinion at the point, at that point and at that time, and, and I kind of still feel the same way that, you know, I, I wanted the guy not to get jail time because I felt like he suffered enough. He, he, he's suffering. I mean, the suffering has to be, uh, I don't know how you sleep at night. Uh, I really don't know how this guy can sleep at night. I really don't. I mean, it, it's got to be something that is uh, so t- mentally taxing on him. I mean, this is his best friend. It wasn't a stranger that he killed, and that's that's bad enough as well. But this was his best friend, so you know that that's tough for for anybody to have to live through something like that. You were the sole reason that your best friend died. I mean, think about that. That's tough. That's rough. That is rough, and. Josh Brent, a guy who, you know, had some promise, Uh, a guy now who, only 25 years old, he's decided to hang him up. And this is similar to the decision that Rolando McClain made for uh, the Baltimore Ravens, where, you know, got into some trouble off the field and he decided, you know what, I got to retire and clean this thing up. I got to clean this thing up. And Josh Brent has to clean this thing up. Moving forward, if he wants, in my mind, to be successful in life. And the beauty of this for Josh Brent and even Rolando McClain, who was also young, Josh Brent's only 25 years old, 25 years old. I mean, so you have a lot of time to get your life right. I mean, Rolando McClain's only 24 years old. So these guys, young men, young men, with the opportunity now to clean some things up in their life, an opportunity now to to become better people. And, you know, that's what this life is all about. I mean, everybody is going to make mistakes. You don't want to make those type of mistakes in terms of, of, of killing somebody because you were drunk or intoxicated, allegedly. I mean, you don't want to do anything like that. But you want, I mean, we're all going to make mistakes. It's just the reality of life. It's just the nature of the beast, of the human mind. The human. It's the nature of being human. You're going to make mistakes, especially when you're young. And so, but one of the beauties of with Josh Brennan and the beauties with Rolando McClain is they have an opportunity now to, to change some things, to, to paint a different picture of themselves moving forward, which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Tomorrow is never promised, of course. But the beauty of Josh Brent being only 25 and Rolando McClain being only 24 is they have an opportunity to change things in their lives, an opportunity to become better people. And that's something that, that's a good thing. That, that's a great thing. And you hope that these guys who both retired at a young age, you hope now that they will, mean what they say, and try to prioritize and try to do things in their lives to become better people. That's all you can ever ask for somebody is, is trying. It's just a good old try. You, you want someone to try. And the reality is Josh Fern at this point has no business on the football field. He's got a lot going on, so much going on. He doesn't belong on a football field at this point in his life. What he needs to do is to get his mind, body, and soul get that get that all right before he steps back on an NFL football field. That's what he needs to do. And you hope again that McLean and that Brent will actually do that. That they will actually become better people and and, and try to become better people and do what they have to do. Work hard, work their butts off to become better people. They work their butts off to get to this level, which is the NFL. You hope they can work their butts off to get to a point in their lives off the field where they're better people. You hope. That's all you can do is hope. You hope everything turns out well for these guys. Tiki Barber. Has some interesting comments today. Tiki Barber, according to Tiki, Tiki talks a lot. Tiki, Tiki, Tiki. Tiki believes that Eli Manning has surpassed Peyton Manning. He believes that Eli Manning has surpassed Peyton Manning. And he said that today on CBS radio. Interesting comments for Tiki from Tiki Barber. I mean, Tiki went on the same quote. The expectations was that he was never going to be Peyton and talking about Eli. I remember having these conversations with people who watched Eli in college saying, "He's good, but he's never going to be Peyton." He's not Peyton. Guess what? According to Tiki Barber, I think he's better than Peyton. And I, you know what? I think Tiki Barber has a legitimate point here. Now, I'm not prepared to say that he's better than that. that that Eli is better than Peyton Manning. I'm not prepared to say that. I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is this: I will say this. Eli is nine and three in the playoffs. Excuse me, eight three in the playoffs. In the playoffs, and Peyton Manning is nine and eleven. Interesting. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And the way Eli Manning won his two championships, he had to go through some hostile environments. He had to go to Green Bay to get his first... He had to go through Green Bay to get his first championship. It's a hostile environment. He had to go through Candlestick Park to get his second championship. Again, another hostile environment. And he had to beat probably the greatest quarterback in this era, Tom Brady. Not once, but two times. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. I mean, he beat Tom Brady two times. He's 8-3 and three in the playoffs. He's clutch. He's. Uh, I mean, he's made some clutch plays in those Super Bowls to get those victories. So, Eli Manning... I, I'm not prepared to say he's better than Peyton. I don't. I don't. I'm not prepared to say that yet. I mean, uh, Peyton Manning. It's been Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I'm not prepared to say that just yet. I'm not prepared to say it. I won't say it. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of haves and have-nots, Jacqueline Beatham. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio.
0: A.K.A. Corey Live, host of Picture on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G. and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got
1: it, bro. And we're back. We are back here on Go For It. Peyton Manning better than Eli. Peyton Manning better than Eli. Wow. I mean, excuse me, Eli better than Peyton. I got it mixed up. Tiki got me all mixed up. That's interesting. That's just very, very interesting to to think about that, to think that Peyton Manning has been surpassed by his brother, Eli Manning. And Eli, you know what? And again, it's legitimate. It's definitely a legitimate argument. It's definitely a legitimate argument. I don't think anybody can argue with that. I don't think anybody can argue that, you know what? You you can't argue that. You can't argue that. You can argue that Eli is just as good as Peyton. And the only way you can argue that is because of what happened in the playoffs and his playoff record and the things he's done to win championships. I mean, he's done some incredible things to win championships for his team, the New York Giants. I mean, he's done some incredible things, some absolutely incredible things. David Tyree, just to even get out of that situation where he was, you know, he was done, he was dead in the water, and he was able to get out of that situation, get able, able to get out of that situation to Eli and throw that ball or at least give David Tyree an opportunity to catch the ball. Gave David Tyree an opportunity to catch the ball. Now, again, you could argue that Eli is one of the luckiest quarterbacks known to man. And if you argue that, I think it's legitimate. You could argue that Eli Manning is very lucky. Manningham the throw to Manningham. That was a great throw. It was a great throw, but it it seems a little lucky. It it just seems just a tad lucky. I mean, it it just seems lucky. And you look at Eli Manning and just some of the things he's done, it just seems lucky. And fair or unfair, I mean. And it's not really fair. I mean, fair or unfair, the reality is he does have the championships. He does have two titles. And he did it the hard way. He did it the hard way. He has two titles. You can't you can't argue with that. You cannot argue with that. You can't. And think about it is Peyton Manning, you thought last season was going to be his opportunity to get another title. He was close. He was close. He could blame Raheem more if he wants. He can I mean and you look at that whole situation. I mean, I, I talked about the Ravens in that run that they made last season. It was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely amazing the run that the Ravens went on last season. It just seemed improbable. It seemed it just didn't seem like they they seemed like they were destiny's child. They were destiny's child. They were Beyonce. They were Michelle. They were Kelly. They were Destiny's Child, and that's what Manning ran into. That's what Manning ran into. Eli, uh, Peyton Manning, excuse me. He ran into destiny, and it happens. It happens. He ran into a buzzsaw, and that buzzsaw was the Baltimore Ravens. That was a, that was the buzzsaw that he ran into. He ran into a buzzsaw. And you know what? It is what it is. It is what it is. But the thing about it is, are you prepared to say that Peyton has been surpassed by his little brother? No one ever thought that would be possible. No one. If you thought that was possible, you're lying. You are lying, and I don't believe you, and I don't trust you. If you thought that was possible, I don't think anybody thought that was possible, but it's happened. It has happened. And the reality is, maybe when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, Eli Manning might be better than Peyton, but we shall see. Another quarterback, Colin Kaepernick in the news, posted a picture on Instagram, him wearing a Miami Dolphins hat. Um, <laughs> obviously, a youthful indiscretion. Obviously, a part of being young. And amazing. Like, you, you don't do that. You, you, You know better than that. You know better than that. I mean, come on. You're better than that, Colin. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But at the same time, when you're a quarterback of a franchise, you are held to a different standard. And and that standard, fair or unfair, tends to be high. And and I know he said, you know what, I wanted to match the the hat, I should say, with his outfit. But maybe wear a Marlins hat or something. Maybe you find another team with those colors. Maybe a Marlins hat would would have worked better. You don't wear a Miami Dolphins hat. That's just something you just don't do. You don't. Obviously, it was a mistake on his part, and I don't think he'll do it again. But, again, it's a part of being young, forever young, and to be young is to make mistakes. And, obviously, that's a mistake for Colin Kaepernick. And, hopefully, for him moving forward, he won't make that mistake. Hopefully – he'll do a better job, a better job of, you know what, finding the right outfits and finding the right hats. You know, you, 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 if, if you can't find, you, you got to find a Marlins. You've got to find a Marlins hat. They have similar colors. Find that hat. Go with that hat. Don't go with the Miami Dolphins. That's just not very smart. Colin. My friend, you got to be smarter. You're listening to Go For on Blog Talk Radio.
0: The person you have called is unavailable right now. Please try again later. La persona que usted ha llamado no está disponible en este momento. Por favor, intente de nuevo más tarde. Message 2. Switch 599. The person you have called is unavailable right now. Please try again later. La persona que usted ha llamado no está disponible en este momento. Por favor, intente de nuevo más tarde. Message 2. Switch 599. Nine. The person you have called is unavailable right now. Please try again later. La persona que usted ha llamado no está disponible. Mita, A.K.A. Corey Live, host of Picture on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jerry.
1: And we're back. Trying to get Jacqueline Beatham on the line, one of the stars of Haves and Have-Nots. At least she's having some problems with her phone. So we're going to try to, we're, we're working to get that fixed working to get that solved but in the meantime we look at major league baseball we look at the return of major league baseball and i talked about this earlier and i'm going to talk about it again um it's july and you know you hear stories in july you know about things like lebron james wanting to be with the Lakers and Carmelo Anthony, think about going to the Lakers. You hear those type of stories in July. I mean, that's just the nature of July. I mean, those types of those are type of stories that you hear. You hear, I mean, and, and it's just pure speculation. I mean, just pure and utter speculation. Like, there's no way that, I mean, I don't see that happening. There's no way that's going to happen. I don't think. I I don't think it's going to happen, but you never, you never, you never, you never doubt the Lakers. You never doubt the Lakers. You never doubt what they can do. You never. You never do. Because the Lakers are the Lakers. And the Lakers do big-time things. They really do. You can't doubt the Lakers. I don't doubt the Lakers. I refuse to doubt the Lakers. I refuse to doubt the Lakers. Don't doubt the Lakers. Ever. Don't doubt the Lakers. Never doubt the heart of a champion. And that champion is the Lakers. We're going to work to get Jacqueline on again. Let's go to break so we can try to work that out. You're listening to The Block Talk Radio.
2: Okay.
0: If you go hey, what there. up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picture on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G, and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. We're back. You got it, brother.
1: We're back. Still trying to work to get Jacqueline Beetham on the line. Must be having problems with her cell phone at this point. But we'll, as we continue to work that out, Johnny Mansell. I mean, <laughs> this guy is in the news again. And, you know, winning the Heisman is usually a gift. I mean, it's usually a great thing. But for Johnny Mansell, excuse me, in some respect, it's been a curse. It, it has been a curse. And I don't know. I mean, the, the guy is going through. Various situations. The guy, we look at him. Overslept at Manning Camp. Didn't really determine. Didn't really say whether or not he was drinking, or didn't have any, or whether or not he had alcohol. Didn't say any of those things. But it's just uh, uh, the guy finds a way to get into the news. He's 20 years old, and he's he's 20 years old. He's a college kid, and he's doing what college kids do. That's what college kids do. They live it up. They have a good time. They do things that, you know, college kids do, what young people do. They do what young people do. And the thing about it is Johnny Menzel has been doing what young people do. And the thing about it is he had a situation where he said he overslept. He overslept. You know, the man overslept. I, I got He says he overslept. I got to respect that. You overslept, you overslept. You know what? And, and that's what he did. He said he overslept. And the thing about it is, if a man oversleeps and he tells you he oversleeps, I have to accept that he overslept. I have to accept that's what he did. I have to accept that. But, you know, my, my antennas go off a little bit. Uh, my antennas go off a little bit, you know. I mean, when when asked to direct you know, question straight up, you know what? Were you drinking alcohol during the time at the camp? He said, I'm not going into details about what happened at the Manny camp. We had social events every night. So, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells you that maybe Mr. Manziel might have been drinking. It tells you that Johnny Heisman. Johnny Football may have been doing some things he wasn't supposed to be doing. Let's take a call. Hello, you're on Go For It. Hello? Hello, you're on Go For It. Caller is not there. But anyway, Johnny Heisman, Johnny Football, however you want to say it, he's young. Young people do young people type things. Young people drink. Young people, uh, you know, do crazy things. And obviously he's 20 years old, so can he really say that at the age of 20 years old that I was drinking? I mean, can he really answer that? Can he really answer that? Can he really answer that truthfully? He can't answer that truthfully. He can't. He can't answer that truthfully. And he would be a fool if he answered that truthfully. But at the same time, antennas go off. Speculation. Speculation, obviously. You have to speculate. And my speculation is that maybe Johnny Football, maybe he was drinking. And that was one of the reasons he did oversleep. You know what I mean? He said he overslept. Basically, I overslept. It is what it is. But you know what? At the same time, you're at the Manning camp, the first family of football quarterbacks. You need to know how to conduct yourself in a way that is positive. Conduct yourself in a way that, you know what, a way that somebody's supposed to conduct themselves. You have not done that. You were drinking. You probably, and this is my assumption, I think you were drinking. I, I, I think you were doing things that you weren't supposed to be doing. You were doing things that we weren't, you were not supposed to be doing. And because of that, you know, you overslept. You overslept. And the thing about it is got to be smarter. The Heisman, and I, I look at the Heisman for him as a gift and as a curse. From the standpoint that obviously winning a Heisman is a good thing. But at the same time, with that whole situation and winning a Heisman, you know, he ran into a lot of trouble. He's gained a lot of attention. A lot of attention. A lot of attention. Some want it, some unwanted. And the thing about it is, he's going to continue to have that attention. He's going to continue to have that attention. That's just the nature of the beast. When you win the Heisman, people come at you. People are going to expect certain things from you. People, fair or unfair, people are going to expect some things from you. And those things are, you're going to have to be able to act right. You're going to have to be able to act right. You're going to have to be able to act right. And Johnny Heisman, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football has not proven to be that person at this point. And I get it. I, I, I get it, man. You know what? He is young. I get that. I respect that. I understand that. That's just the nature of his situation is just the nature of the situation he's young young people do young things but at the same time he's held to a higher standard he's held to a higher standard and I, I feel bad for the guy I feel bad for the guy I really do because it's an impossible standard it's an impossible standard It's just an impossible standard to to live on. It's a possible standard to live by. A very impossible standard to live by. Very impossible. It's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Very unfortunate standard to live by. And, and you know, I, I feel for the guy. I really do. I, I really feel for the guy because it's unfair. It's unfair. It's very unfair. Very unfair. And it's an impossible standard to live up to. I just hope that this won't affect in terms of future prospects moving forward, in terms of uh, people saying, you know what, this guy is some red flags because of this type of behavior. And, you know, red flags are going to go up because you're paying a guy millions and millions of dollars You know, there's going to be some red flags when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you're out there, you know, not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that is going to the Manning camp and to become a better quarterback, a better player. That was what he was supposed to do. That was going to the Manning camp to become better. Become a better player. And at this point, not a good situation for Johnny Heisman, Johnny Football. Not a good situation. Not a good situation at all. Let's go to a good situation. Uh, A a guy now who's coming off uh, a big victory over Jonathan Banks, a guy now who's back into the heavyweight mix. Let's bring him in now, heavyweight contender, Seth Mitchell. Seth, how are you, man? How you doing,
2: man? I'm doing good. How you doing?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us.
2: Uh, No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, Seth, you're riding high after a big victory over Jonathan Banks. Assess your performance in that fight.
2: I don't know if it's your phone or my phone. We're getting, like, cut off really bad.
1: Let's let's try it again. Um, Talking about the fight with Jonathan Banks, assess your performance in that fight. Can you hear me now?
2: Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um I I watched the uh I watched the fight and uh my main the main objective uh that night was to definitely get the W. Um, if the knockout came, the knockout came and watching the fight I was uh probably a little more overly cautious than I than I should have been. But uh we knew going into the fight that Jonathan Banks was a he was a, a good counter puncher and he was uh waiting on me to know to rush in and be overly aggressive so he can counter me and uh the main thing was to if he's gonna let me win the fight with my jab then i win each round you know with your jab if you you know catch him and 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 stop him then that was the case but the main goal was to win the win the uh win the fight with my jab and you know i'm i'm, I'm happy with my that i got the that i got the w at the same time i understand that it's a, a entertainment business and uh You know, it wasn't a bomb round of fight, but um, I clearly won the fight. It wasn't like I was given a decision, and um, I I won the fight. So, you know, overall, I'm glad I I won the fight. I thought that I could have done a little, you know, more things, given more angles and, you know, let my hands go a little more. But then looking back at it, he's a great counterpart, and I just wanted to win the fight, and that's what I did.
1: Now, Seth, you talked about, you know, the fight being kind of a a, a tedious fight at at some points. Not very exciting. Did the booze bother you at all? Did the booze make you want to slug
2: with him? Uh, Not at all. If, if that was the case, I would have went out there and, and slug with them. You know, I knew that this was a big fight for my career. I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a, a career-ending fight that I would have, you know, lost confidence in myself. But um, just with you know the politics and the nature of this sport, I knew a loss wouldn't be pretty at all. And uh, going into the fight. I, my main objective was to. It, this was a 12-fight fight each round. One more rounds than him, and I knew that he didn't throw a lot of punches. And if he was in, I knew I had a, my dad was as good as his or better, and if he was going to let me win the fight with my dad, then, you know, t- take this, you know, win this fight, look good later, you know, and that was just my, my mind, that it was a big fight, and I had to win this fight.
1: Now, looking back at this fight and, and everything, in that third round, he, he had you hurt, but you survived. You got through. Take us through that moment, and take us through your mindset during that, peri- during that period of time.
2: Um, you know, watching the, we knew going into that uh, his his main punch was uh, he had two main punches: his his counter right and his 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 counter hook, and those are big shots. He definitely looks to land. It's like it's it's second nature to him. And uh, we knew I couldn't throw any lazy jabs out, and you know, not bring my hand back to my head. And I uh, watched him, though watching the fight, it was just perfect timing. He was actually throwing his right hand a, like a fraction of a second before I was throwing my jab. And, uh, you know, he caught me, and then he came followed up with the with the hook and uh, caught me, I believe, on the temple, shook me up a little bit. And uh, But I just had the wherewithal still to, you know, grab him and, and not fight as I did in the first fight. And when I did grab him, make sure that I had a good grip on him and just, you know, survived the round, and uh, I was able to do that.
1: We're talking to heavyweight contender Seth Mitchell. And, and Seth, you knocked him down in the second round. A little questionable, but it's a knockdown nonetheless. At that point, did you feel like you had him hurt?
2: No, I knew, uh, you know, he had lung- again. He was on the he was on the ropes, and he had lunged in with the right hand, and I kind of like stepped to the side a little bit and threw, a, you know, a-, a short right uppercut, you know, and-, and he was more so off balance, and then I just threw a- a shot, another shot. He grazed him in the back of the head. Uh, it was a, you know, a legit knockdown from the. From the uppercut And he was off Dallas But I knew That he wasn't hurt It was just a, You know A two point round For me But he wasn't hurt So uh, well, there was no need To you know Get overzealous Get over aggressive, And you know Just stick to the game plan We had a game plan Going into that fight And that was to You know Not lunge Not reach Take small steps When he dropped his hands You know To lure me in You know Don't fall for the bait You know Make him become the aggressive And that's something that You know He didn't do that And that surprised me That you know He didn't trying to force the fight to me because after nine rounds, I knew that I was winning the fight, and uh, I figured that he was going to, you know, try to beat the bull, and uh, he didn't. He just continued to, you know, wait on me to come in and make mistakes, but we I was too small for that, this fight.
1: Tough moments for you, Seth, a, a few weeks before the fight. Your wife delivered uh, a stillborn child, and, and you know, I, I know what you went through here on some level. My wife had a miscarriage as well a few years, few years back, so I know it hurts. How tough was it for you to continue to prepare for the biggest fight of your career, dealing with all that?
2: Um, it was tough, man. I mean, I spent a lot of, you know, times, you know, driving to the gym, you know, and, uh, and shedding tears. And it was funny because the, the ring in the gym was like my sanctuary. That's when it bothered me the least amount, you know. Every now and then, you know, my trainer would, you know, console me because he knew my mind was somewhere else. But for the most part, when I was in there training for the fight, I was fine. But to the gym and leaving the gym is when I had, you know, most of my trouble, you know, trying to, you know, uh, not, not cry as much. And then coming home, you know, my it was really bothering my wife. So I kind of had to to be, be that rocket, not show my emotion, you know, with her so much because that just – got her going even more so it it was tough man just you know trying to put everything in perspective and you know you never want to ask the question why because you know my faith is everything happened for a reason but we are human and we do you know question certain things so you know a lot of things were going through my mind and um, it it was tough but thank God I was able to you know put that on the back burner and train hard and uh, and get that victory
1: And, and now Seth and and reading about this fight, Dan Rayfield of ESPN wrote this: Whenever Banks didn't land anything, he seemed to hurt Mitchell, whose chin is poor. How do you respond to something like that?
2: I mean, hey, if people are gonna say whatever they want to say. One thing, you know, they they it, it doesn't bother me. It, it doesn't, you know, make me lose any This is the heavyweight division. Anytime somebody get get caught right, they can get it get in trouble, but. You know, you know, I was able to fight through it. And, uh, you know, maybe that'll give me, you know, more fights because people think uh, that my, my chin is weak. So it, it can definitely benefit me. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Uh, I, I'm going to train hard, and I'm going to be prepared for whoever I get in the ring with.
1: Now, Jonathan Banks said after the fight that he would like a third fight. Do you see that happening?
2: Um, I don't believe so. I don't think. I mean, if, if you ask him, he didn't want to fight me but I had a rematch clause in my contract. You know, he said if I didn't have a rematch clause in my contract, he wouldn't afford me. And I don't believe he had a rematch clause in his contract. So, you know, as of right now, I definitely I don't see that fight happening right now. I'm not saying that we can't lock horns again, you know, later on. But right now, uh, I don't see that in the future, in the near future.
1: Now, there are reports that you guys are in talks, your team are in talks with Chris Ariola. For a fight, possibly sometime in September. Tell us where that stands.
2: Um, just what you said is just nothing has been uh, solidified. I've heard that it's you know it's been some talks, but you know it's nothing. There's no dates, or anything have been uh, have been mentioned. You know to me, it's just heard uh, it is talk. So I'm just prepared. You know as if I'm fighting in september i'm uh you know back in the gym now and preparing as if i was fighting in september but you know i think that that's a good fight and uh, i would love that fight and uh, if it happens it's going to be a it's going to be a crowd pleasing fight for the fans but uh as of right now it's just it's just talk just you know speculation there's nothing no contract, i haven't been sent a contract or anything
1: now let's look at the american heavyweight landscape of course you got your guy Tony Thompson coming off a big victory over David Price. You got Brian Jennings out there, Wilder out there, to name a few. Where do you see yourself in terms of the American heavyweights?
2: Uh, I see myself being mentioned, you know, with the the top of the American heavyweights. Uh, you know, all of those were you know good fighters that you just mentioned. But you know, I I feel that you know I can you know bang with all of them. I feel like all, my name should be at the, at the top of the list.
1: And now, moving forward now, Seth, obviously you said you're going to fight in September, and at this point you're not sure who it will be. How many fights do you think you're away from, from going after the Klitschko brothers?
2: Um, I, I believe another, you know, one or two victories, and um, I, I believe that I would have earned my shot. You know, granted, I you know, I have to win those fights and I have to look impressive, but um, that will put me at uh, either, you know, 26, 27, or 28, one-and-one, you know, and I believe I I, I put in my work and I I will deserve my my shot at the title. And uh, when that opportunity comes, we're going to put together a great training camp, and I'll be ready. I'll be ready.
1: Now, now big fight coming up in September, Canelo Alvarez, Floyd Mayweather. How do you see that one playing out?
2: Um, I see Floyd winning, you know. Um, I think uh, Alvarez. I, I like Alvarez a lot. He's one of my favorite fighters. But man, Floyd is a master. Man, he's a he's a technician. And you know, after the first three or four rounds, seems like he figures he figures his opponent out, and then it's just easy work after that. So you know, I see um, it being a, a crowd pleasing fight, but I see Floyd winning.
1: He's just a boxing genius. I mean, he figures it out after a couple rounds, and it's just like, wow, this fight's over. You know what I mean? He just exactly. figures it out and. That's the beauty of Floyd Mayweather. Now, now Seth, you are big on Twitter. Where where can fans connect with you on Twitter? They can at Seth forty
2: eight. At Seth Mayhem forty eight, so they, they can connect with me. Fans connect
1: well, I'm with excited, this man. I'm
2: excited about that. I just wanted, I'm excited about the future. You know, it's a lot of you know things like you know being said as you mentioned. You know, Seth is you know they they basically writing my obituary, but I'm still breathing, man. I'm still breathing, so I'm I'm excited. And I, uh, you know, I I like having my back against the wall. It
1: it definitely is out there. I mean, there is a perception out there that the obituary is written for Seth Mitchell. At this point, he cannot get to the Klitschko level. I mean, does that bother you at all? Or, like, you you just relish it. You love it.
2: I, I relish it. You know, hey, you know, I, if you ask anybody, I, I'm not supposed to be as far as I've gotten. I, I, I'm never was supposed to get as far as, as far as I've gotten so far. So I mean, they people are gonna say what they wanna say. Uh, it doesn't make me, you know, lose sleep. It actually, it motivates me. So you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see when the final chapter is written. Seth,
1: pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Appreciate. It. Take care. Seth
1: Mitchell, heavyweight contender, and we'll see what happens with Seth Mitchell moving forward. That's that's a big question. That's the big question with him. Can he a take a punch, a heavyweight punch, and and will he bounce back from you know the Jonathan Banks the first loss? I mean, it, it happens in boxing. It happens. You know, it's the nature of the sport. It's the nature of the situation, nature of the beast. It's just the nature of the beast. It's just the nature of the sport. and and, You know, it's a a contact sport. It's a contact sport. And sometimes with that contact and, and heavyweight contact, people go down. People get hurt. People go down, people get hurt. And Seth Mitchell, you know what? He believes that don't write that old bit. Get rid of that old bit. I'm coming back. I'm coming for you. And I'm going to be the next best thing in the heavyweight division. We shall see what happens with Seth, Mayhem, Mitchell. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, with him, people were riding high. You know, he was he was knocking guys out, getting guys out of there right away. And then ran into Johnson Banks, and a lot of people started to question this man. A lot of people started to question his ability, started to question him as a fighter. It's a good opportunity for him to move forward. I would love to see him fight Areola. I think it would be a great fight, a great fight great fight. I would love to watch it. Love to see it. Love to see it. No happens. I hope it happens. We're trying to get Jacqueline Beatham on the line. Um, She may have ran into some kind of technical difficulties. Um, We're trying to get her on the line. Um, Maybe a situation we're going to have to reschedule. Um, And hopefully we can Work that through, I want to end the show talking about the whole trayvon Martin case and very, very big time case, a case that got and garnered a lot of attention in in all facets of life. The sports world no different I mean a lot of attention in the sports world, a lot of people in the sports world talking about it. Let's look at some tweets. That went out immediately after the verdict. I mean, you got guys like Damian Wooding, former NFL player. I don't wish no harm on no man. Revenge won't bring back Trayvon Martin. You have Jason Winlock. I don't think it's fair to follow an unarmed child, lose a fight, and then shoot him. I'm sad Zimmerman, not held responsible. Seth Curry. Wait, he gets his gun back. Seth Curry, watched a lot of the case. Though manslaughter wasn't definite, thinking about everyone involved, especially the Martin family. I mean, the list goes on. Kendrick Perkins, the American justice system is a joke. Swing cash, these tears right now in my eyes are for Trayvon's family, for my nephews, for my unborn son, God willing one day. This is hard to bear. Warren Sapp, don't forget to set your clocks back 50 years before you go to sleep. Tonight, Derek Coleman i guess they're paying us back for OJ. Peter King, no culpability for Zimmerman. Now, how can that be? I mean, a lot of people in the sports world tweeting out and talking about the situation. A lot of people. Um, you got Tobias Harris. Harris, wow, my thoughts and prayers go out to the Martin family. Jared Sullinger, my heart and soul goes out to Trayvon's parents. I feel their pain. Unlike a lot of you ruthless people, have a heart and it feels for them. Anthony Davis, crazy. Jamal Crawford, I'm still in shock. Brandon, iya Badejo I guess murder is okay. Chris Paul, wow. Prayers out to the Martin family. Josh Scobie dear pro athletes, say off Twitter regarding this verdict. Sincerely, you're welcome. That might not be a bad idea. Dwayne Wade, wow. Stunned, saddened as a father's. Someone make sense of this verdict for me. Right now, please, don't worry. I'll wait. I mean, a lot of various tweets coming, about, coming out after the situation with Trayvon Martin and about this whole situation. Here's my take on it. I mean, the reality is, you know, this was a volatile case, but this was a tough case to prove. It just was tough to prove. We couldn't figure out who was saying help. We, we, we couldn't figure out exactly what happened after uh, George Zimmerman hung up with the 911 operator. We couldn't figure any of those things out. It's just a sad story. I mean, that's all you can say. It's just truly, truly a sad story. But here's one thing I will say. It did not have to happen. The reality is the 911 operator told George Zimmerman to stay in his car. George Zimmerman did not listen to the 911 operator, and guess what? He got out the car. And in the process of getting out the car, ultimately him and Trayvon met up. Ultimately, there was an altercation. How the altercation started, who knows? We'll never know. We'll never know. Unfortunately, Trayvon Martin's not here to discuss what happened, to tell us what happened. It's sad. I mean, it, it's just truly sad what happened. Whether you're on the Zimmerman side, whether you're on the Martin side, whether you felt Trayvon was the instigator, maybe whether you thought Trayvon was the aggressor, whether you thought all those things, the reality is that it's sad and it didn't have to happen. It did not have to happen. If George Zimmerman would have stayed in his car on that night On that night in February, if he would have stayed in his car, we would not be talking about this. We would not be talking about such a divisive topic. I mean, this topic has divided the country right down the middle in terms of white and black. It's divided the country. But the thing about it is this. Here's the thing. We have to understand, and, and I like what everybody has done for the most part. People have protested, but they've been very peaceful about it. People have been very peaceful about this whole thing. And the thing is, the state, it was a hard case to prove. Manslaughter, second-degree murder, it was hard to prove. There just was not enough. And, you know, not guilty doesn't mean innocent. Not guilty has never meant innocent. Not guilty is just that, not guilty. But doesn't mean innocent. And I, I feel like a lot of people in some respect. It's like, okay, somebody dies and no one pays for it. No one goes to jail for it. Nothing happens. I, I feel like a lot of people when I hear that and, and see that. Because to me, and it's just the way I feel about it, to me, It's just, it didn't have to happen. It just did not have to happen. It didn't. It didn't have to happen. It didn't, man. And and, and that's just the sad part of it all. This was very avoidable. It was very avoidable. It wasn't avoidable. It was very avoidable. Very avoidable. And it happened. And the thing about it is, at this point, we only get one side of the story because the other side is dead and gone. Trayvon Martin was profiled because he was black. He was profiled. I don't think we can – he was profiled. I don't think anybody can dismiss that. He was profiled by George Zimmerman. And George Zimmerman thought that maybe Trayvon Martin was some kind of thug, some kind of criminal. And he wasn't. He was just going home, going home from his house, going home from 7-Eleven, excuse me. That's all. He was going home from 7-Eleven with Skittles and some iced tea. People said, oh, there was weed in the system. People say, oh, uh, his Facebook page and you know, he's got his middle finger up, and he's blowing smoke and things of that nature. Well, you look at a Facebook page of any seventeen, sixteen, eighteen-year-old, and you're going to see those type of things. Doesn't make you a bad person. Does not make you a bad person. We're going to see those things on a, a teenager's Facebook page. That's just the reality of life. You're going to see those things on a females uh, on a teenager's Facebook page. That's all that matters. I mean, you're going to see those things. So. Don't try Trayvon. George Zimmerman is on trial. And I'll leave you with my tweet. And this is what I tweeted Saturday night. Here's my tweet. Remember, God is the true judge and jury. I tell everybody, stay level headed and know if Zimmerman did wrong, justice will prevail. Hashtag RIP, RIP, excuse me, Trayvon Martin. Remember, God is the true judge and jury. Only God determine what happened, and only God can judge George Zimmerman. If he did it, and and he was wrong, obviously he killed him, but if he was malicious and and wrong in killing Trayvon Martin, guess what? God will judge him. I want to thank Raymond Felton for stopping by. Also I want to thank Seth Mitchell for stopping by. We're going to try to reschedule Jacqueline Beetham for next week. Must have been a situation with her phone and, and we were unable to connect, but we're going to try to schedule her next week. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blocktalkradiocom PGAN, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go 4 For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great week. See you later. Take care. Bye.